hello, everyone. Welcome to the Stairway to CEO podcast brought to you by Future Commerce. I'm your host, Lee Green, and it's my mission to bring you a real, honest, and unfiltered interview with top business leaders from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 48 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I spoke with Chelsea Moore, the co-founder and CEO of BoxFox. Launched in 2014, BoxFox is a modern approach to gifting, offering curated gift boxes or the ability to digitally build a custom gift box from a selection of products across home, beauty, lifestyle, and food. In this episode, Chelsea shares with us her journey from working in PR and marketing to starting BoxFox with her two close friends after wanting to send a gift to a sick friend and realizing the lack of options that existed for a presentable, personal, and purposeful gift box. She talks with us about partnerships with Nordstrom, Anthropology, and The Bachelorette that helped move the needle for the business, how she's grown personally and professionally as a leader, and reveals some of the not-so-glamorous responsibilities that come with running a business. Tune in to hear all of this and more. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us an awesome review. We hope you enjoy this episode. Chelsea, thanks so much for being on the show today. I'm really excited to hear your awesome story and building Box Fox. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Whittier, California. It is a part of LA County that nobody's heard of. <laughs> I've never heard of it and I live in LA. So where is this place? Uh, Whittier is like on the east side of LA County. It's near Pasadena-ish. Um, but yeah, I grew up over there. All right. So you're a West Coast Cali girl. Um, what was childhood like growing up? Did you have siblings? Yeah, I am the oldest of three. Um, I have a sister who works in digital marketing here in, in LA, who's younger than me. And then my our brother works in hospital administrative finance in San Diego, and he is younger than both of us. All right. What was it like growing up? What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, I wanted to be a teacher and then I wanted to be an architect. And then I went to UCLA thinking I would be an architect. And I quickly was like, nah, that's too hard of a program to get into. So I'm going to be a lawyer. And then because that's way easier. (laughs) And then about two and a half years into school, I was like, I don't know if I really want to be a lawyer. I started taking LSAT classes and I was like, If this is just the test, do I really want to do this for my life? Well, I was interning, you know, at a law firm, like this is kind of boring. Um, But I do think like I worked, I I interned for the DA's office, which I found to be fascinating. And then I worked for like a private guy and I was like, this is kind of boring. I don't know, whatever. I was like, I don't know if it's for me. And then I was kind of just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I went, I was working for the clothing company, Brandy Melville at the time. And I was doing like marketing, wholesale, warehouse sales, the whole thing. Um, but I was like interning at a interior design firm because I thought maybe that's what I want to do. This is like what college should be if you have the privilege right. to do this. Yeah. But, you know, exploring quickly, failing fast. Um, and so then I landed on working at an ad agency right out of school. That was where I ended up. Um, I got a job at Ogilvy and Mather in L.A., um, so before like, you, let's take it back just real quick. Cause I'm curious up until that time, did you have any kind of like entrepreneurial examples or, you know, when you were a kid growing up, did you have a lemonade stand or were you not really, did you not really know what entrepreneurship was growing you up? Know, it's funny, I didn't consciously realize what entrepreneurship was, but definitely in the last six or seven years, retrospectively looking back, I liked commerce. I liked playing store. I liked setting up this like store on our lawn. 
I enjoyed. What kind of store? What were you selling on the in the store in your lawn? Oh, you I would pull snacks from the pantry that I didn't pay for and like set them up like a stand outside. It didn't go anywhere, but there were like things like that where I enjoyed like the act of commerce, the act of playing store. Like, you know, when mm-hmm. you grow up and go to those really cool children's museums that would have like mini towns in them. I don't know if you've ever been to those, like the Chicago. I, mean, I grew up in a very small town. So there was like no museums nearby. <laughs> yeah, I like, I've been to two. like a children's museum in Chicago where I had family. And then there was one in Fullerton, which is part of, you know, Southern California. And they have these like mini stores where you can like play store and you're behind the register. I always thought that stuff was so cool. It was very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, I really came to enjoy kind of e-commerce and retail more when I worked for Brandy Melville. I really enjoyed the process of like setting up the store, marketing the store, bringing people into the store. So I feel like I was more interested in retail than I was in entrepreneurship. Did you work in retail before? Because I feel like when I was a kid, I was kind of similar where I would take all the groceries outside of my parents' pantry and I would put it on the countertop and pretend that I worked at a grocery store with the beeping sound, of course, course, you know, (laughs) scanning every item, looking for the barcode, you know, pretending I have like cash and my sister would be the customer every time um but well, when- I at the grocery store in high school did uh, you I did too I worked at a grocery store in high school too did the- you like it? I did except there was this horrible person who was bullying me and she happened to work there too so that was not fun <laughs> to be working That's at the same place as the girl at school was bullying you <laughs> that was not fun you look back and you're like I wish I just like told them where to stick it and like right? be- I didn't do it back then, but I, I worked at the grocery store. I loved working at the grocery store. I loved getting my hands dirty. I loved customer service. So like all of those pieces, which have become such an important part of running an e-commerce brand are things that I like collectively enjoyed growing up. I never like looked at entrepreneurs and was like, I want to be an entrepreneur. And that was something in the beginning of Box Box that I actually really struggled with. Like you know, the scene of entrepreneurship, which is a thing mm-hmm. and like actually putting your head down and like working towards something. And so, um, well, what about your parents? What did they do? And what was their influence on your entrepreneurship? Um, my dad's in finance and he's just like, you know, a hardworking guy and required that we also be hardworking. Um, mm-hmm. and then my mom, she was a stay at home mom, but I mean, she constantly had her hand in something, whether it was like, PTA treasury, working at the school library, running the school store, my, you know, very involved in my brother's baseball growing up. Just, she was just like, the, my dad likes to say the type of woman that gets shit done. And that was very influential on us mm-hmm. um, growing up, but they like weren't necessarily entrepreneurial. I don't, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to offend anyone in my extended family, but I don't think anybody <laughs> entrepreneurial at all. And yeah. my founder's parents are very successful, hardworking, smart people, but I don't know if they're quite entrepreneurial either. So um, it is kind of interesting how certain qualities lend themselves to ending up being entrepreneurial, even though, or you could just be straight up like, I want to be an entrepreneur. And then those qualities find you. I don't know. Right. Well, it sounds like maybe that's almost what happened. It sounds like you were at this ad agency and, you know, how did the kind of entrepreneurship bug happen? Yeah. So I started at the ad agency and that's actually where I met. I had already met one of my co-founders. We were friends from college, Jenny, um, my Ogilvy and May there. I met Sabina. Sabina was assigned to take me to lunch on my first day of of school, my first day of work. Um, and we just hit it off right away. You know, I didn't love advertising. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Well, what did you think it was going to be? And then what was it actually? I mean, everybody thinks it's going to be like Mad Men or like TV. You know, you just see things growing up and you're like, especially in, at least when I grew up, it's like, you're going to grow up and be a cupcake baker or a magazine editor or whatever the other four female um, um, jobs that are in rom-coms. That's the only things that you were ever like that's what you that see sounds so much more fun than the things I grew up thinking that were possible like teacher and nurse that was it <laughs> like teacher and nurse <laughs> but like, I don't 
know, I just thought it'd be more creative and, and stuff like that. And maybe it was just because I was younger and more intimidated and, and stuff like that. But I was just like, I don't really care about pitching this mattress brand or, you know, what it, whatever it might be. Um, but I was still learning a lot and I was meeting really interesting people. And I was there for, you know, the next eight months. And I, we just, what happened was a good friend of ours was hospitalized. She's fine now, but she, I was on the new business team and I couldn't leave work or like do anything during the day at all. Cause obviously I was running around like crazy. And I just was like, I wish there was a way that I could send her something to comfort her, but I couldn't. And at the time, like Postmates and Uber Eats, which still aren't like great transit for like item items. Now they're still more food based. I just, there was no way to do it. And so it kind of dawned on us. Like, I wish there was like a marketplace where I could handpick my favorite things from Michael's arts and crafts and our favorite boutique in Venice and Nordstrom and anthropology and package it to a standard that we believed in and send it somewhere. And that was really where build a box box, our platform for customizable gifts and care packages. The idea came from, it's like, can we basically recreate this, this intention and thought and, aesthetic and personalized nature into like a six minute experience online. And so that's where that all came from. And it was like December of 2013. And Sabina, Jenny and I started meeting after work and kind of like working through this and these problems and these ideas. And we worked on it for like the next eight months and launched that year in 2014. Along the way, I quit my job and went full-time working on it. They still kept their jobs for the time being. Um, but during those eight months, that's like a pretty serious time of, are we going to do this? So yeah. what were some of the reasons or thoughts that you guys had, maybe even, you know, concerns before starting that were going through your head at the time? Should we do this or not? Yeah. I mean, obviously money. It's like, can we afford to do this? Right. Um, it's so funny. The things that used to give us anxiety are seems so far away from what gives us anxiety now. Like what, what were some like, things that you had anxiety about before? You know, like, how do we, we were, I was really caught up on like, what are the steps that we need to do to like be appropriately licensed on a city, state and federal level? Cause that roadmap isn't anywhere. You need mm -hmm. to like go figure that out. So that used to give us pause. Um, building the website and finding someone that we trusted to make the website and finding someone that we trusted to build our platform, um, the custom build a box box platform mm -hmm. so that was like really stressful. Cause that was a whole new world. Um, but like back then, you know, even so recently as 2014, you can make a lot more of an impact on Instagram and with influencers than you can now. And so that didn't give me anxiety. I had done that kind of stuff at Brandy Melville, where I was, you know, building relationships with, with local creators and influencers. And, and that wasn't really as an intimidating. It was really like, what are all the formal pieces that we have to do to be like a legitimate functioning LLC or Inc in the city and state and whatever. Um, so that was, and then just like time and money, like, how are we going to pay ourselves? How are we going to pay our rent? Um, was, was stressful at the time. Did you guys ever have a conversation about, you know, going into business as three friends, you know, and three being kind of odd number or like, how did you guys talk about, you know, each other's kind of roles and responsibilities? Yeah. Um, we had agreed in the beginning, it was very much like an all for one, one for all, everyone's helping with everything. And we'll get to a point where we specialize when we're in a more stable place, which did happen. So we were all really open with that. And like, because I was the one who had quit my job, I was the one on the ground, you know, doing what needed to happen during business hours. They were fully available in the evenings and we had, you know, drawn those lines and boundaries. And I think what was really important for us and when people ask me about co-founder advice and stuff like that, I'm always like, as long as everybody's true north is the same, like, yes, you're going to disagree on things and all of that. But as long as the, you know, the true north is the same, the vision's the same and the boundaries are set. I mean, it's been pretty, a pretty amazing experience with my two co-founders. That's awesome. It doesn't always um, come out that way <laughs> for a lot of teams, unfortunately. We're very grateful. We're very grateful for each other. And like the three of us are, you know, a team 
and we have each other to rely on. And, and three we found is a really great number because I mean, oftentimes the, the two that are convincing the other one is the, is completely different. Every single time we're going through big decision-making processes, it feels really balanced. Nice. You have someone to break the tie. Yeah. And a lot of times we just agree. A lot, I don't know. We get, we, you know, we get into it in a good way and really, uh, big discussions and big steps we're taking, but you know, we're, we all have, again, the true intention at heart, the true North and the vision is we're checking in every year on making sure everybody is on that same page as we grow, you know? So how did you guys think about, or what was the one thing that said, or the moment where you all kind of came together and agreed, okay, now is the time to start this. Um, so we started working on it like in that winter of 20, like the beginning winter of 2014. And we were, you know, working on stuff, researching the business license, doing the trademark, getting the website, all that kind of stuff. And it was that June where I quit my, I was able to quit my job. Um, and then we kind of like two weeks after that, I came back from going on a trip and I said, okay, we're serious. Like, I know we're serious, but like now I'm really serious. Let's do this. Um, and so then we put a date on the calendar of when we were going to launch it and we just, you know, we're ready to throw the spaghetti at the wall a little bit. And did that include, um, building out the build a box platform or did you do that later? So we actually launched without the build a box box platform. We launched with just our ready to ship collection because we knew we needed to start somewhere. It didn't need to be perfect and we needed to start generating revenue. Um, and so we launched with that and then we ended up launching our build a box box platform in June of 2015 was when it was ready. Um, and still can't believe it functions and it functions well, but, um, you know, that was just literally like a drawing and wireframes. And we found this amazing guy and he was our partner developer for five years. He's the best guy ever. Um, how did you guys find him? He was listed. I started going through the Shopify experts page and calling all these different agencies. And he and I just completely clicked immediately. We always spoke the same language. Um, I was able to always like draw him these really rudimentary drawings and he would completely understand what I was trying to get at. Um, but yeah, once we launched that in the, in the next June, I mean, it just like grew from there because people really craved that custom custom ability. But I mean, the ready to ship does extremely well too. Um, it's just serving different needs for different people at different times. And so, I mean, how many, you know, of these ready to ship boxes did you initially launch with and what were your metrics for success that would signal to you and the team? Okay. We're on the right track. We should keep doing this. Um, I'm trying to think, I want to say we launched with like six, don't quote me, but I can find out. I want to say we launched with about six, our metrics were like, I remember so distinctively, like maybe two months later after Christmas had passed, I was like, if we're consistently selling 10 a day, then we're really on to something. Yeah. And we like, you know, in January I was packing 10 to 20 a day and I was like, wow, guys, we are crazy onto something. Um, I mean, for us back then, call it naivete, whatever it might be, but like, we were not going to shut it down for anything. Like come hell or high water, we were just going to keep going. Yeah. That was the at the time. But at least during it, you were feeling good about it. You're like, we're hitting 10 a day. We're great. Well, we were freaking thrilled. I mean, we secured <laughs> a pop-up at the Grove in LA before we were out of our apartment as an office. And nobody knew that, but we were like driving from our apartment. We got this opportunity to be the first retail pop-up at the Grove. We were the guinea pigs so that they could put decks together and then sell that space to other retailers, you know, mm -hmm. and we knew somebody who knew somebody and we were there like, this is yours for two weeks, but obviously you need to make it nice. And I mean, looking back, it was fine, but it worked. And like people were walking by every day, but then we would drive back to our apartment and pack all the Valentine's Day orders because it was in February that we did that. Just crazy. Hey guys, I want to tell you a little bit about a new report we're launching here at Future Commerce in partnership with Gladly called The New DIY. It's all about the new trend that has emerged around the passion economy and modern consumption, which begins with peer inspiration, continues with product education, and culminates into participation or an online purchase. 
The report covers how these trends start on social media, the importance of great customer experience across all brands, regardless of industry, and the implications this trend has on retailers. You can get the full report today over at futurecommerce.fm slash the new DIY. That's futurecommerce.fm slash the new DIY. You guys have so many cool brands and products. I think I mentioned earlier that I actually sent a few friends box foxes or whatever you call it, box fox. Um, so they're, and they loved it. And I got one too. That's how I knew about it was I got it as a gift actually this year from someone. And I was like, this box is really cool. It's really beautiful. It's got these really cool branded, you know, um, items in it. And being able to create your own box for someone is really fun to do actually. Cause you're like, Hmm, do they want socks or a candle or a bath bomb or this or that, you know, pen and a journal or a book. There's so many cool things to choose from. When you were first starting out, how did you think about curating the collection of items? That's a great idea. I mean, that's a great question. Um, I, I remember we were like, what are all the reasons and seasons, which is like a phrase we use. And we were trying to figure out like, what was the need for people? Um, and that's really what dictated the original curation. We obviously go off of so much more data now on like what people's notes are. And we've ascertained so many different reasons that people are using our service. But um, that was kind of the initial, just like, this sounds good. Um, birthday sounds good. Thank you. Sounds good. What are the reasons we would use this? Um, and that was kind of the original, you know, wasn't, wasn't that fancy of a science, but just really going with our gut and what we knew this solution could do for people. Um, and then, you know, really grew from there. And now we have like a pretty sophisticated, like mapping situation for all the inventory that we have on our build a box box platform and making sure that we're covering all the bases of what people need to curate hyper customizable and meaningful gifts. Um, and for us, you know, the products in and of themselves, they're really, it's really important for us that they're utilitarian and useful products. They're not throwaway products and that they're well-designed and beautiful. And they come from companies run by good people. You know, we really value the relationships we've built with a lot of these companies and their, and, and our partner vendors. And I feel like out in the wholesale retail world, sometimes it can be a bit transactional and we really, strive to champion the brands and the products that we carry. Um, but yeah, that's kind of our filter. So what do you exactly do you, I guess, look for when brands are applying or you're thinking about bringing on a brand, um, to join, what are you looking for the most or what should, you know, for brands that are listening, if they want to be in the box or be it part of your platform, um, what do you look for most? You know, we look for, again, like, are these useful products? Are they, are they beautiful? Do they fit a need that people are gifting for? Um, do they tell a, an interesting story? Do they have gorgeous branding? Um, do the companies have the operational capacity to support our numbers um, and our projections? Um, and, you know, what do those brands champion? What, are, what do they care about? Do they care about anything? We love to see, you know, that sort of a thing too and, and be able to, you know, we, we added these accolades to our website this last year of like um, different ways that people can shop their values and started to categorize different brands for the things that, you know, that represent them or that they champion. So we have like eco-friendly women owned, BIPOC owned and gives back. And we define them in our own way and enables our customers to be able to look for those causes and, and read up on the things that, you know, these brands support or they champion. That's awesome. And so when I assume that you buy in a certain number of quantity, you hold it at the warehouse so that when users are creating their boxes, it's all right there, ready to go. Yeah, we were, we've gotten pretty sophisticated. We, we do hold live inventory. We do pride ourselves on shipping as expediently as we can. Um, we obviously, you know, like every brand last year had some challenging times at the beginning of the pandemic and, and around Christmas that were a bit out of our control, but we've tried to be transparent when that happens as, as much as we can. And, you know, we ship in three to eight business days, usually sooner for everybody. Cause obviously gifting is usually urgent and, um, you know, people want that to be received. We do offer 
expedited shipping and we fulfill same day um, when things are placed before noon or otherwise they get fulfilled the next day. But I thought that was, it was really interesting that you know, your system really is sophisticated because I noticed that if you add like one more thing over the size of the small box, it immediately gets you into the bigger box, which was like, oh, okay, great. They know exactly what fits into how and these different size boxes so that everything will fit properly. Because I think that's one of the concerns as a user. You're like, I hope everything will fit in this box that I want it to. Oh, totally. And it's all about for us you know, the system that we put together, it's for it to fit and also to make sure that it's going to look really nice. Um, and so that's part of that as well. And making sure if you're sending one of our regular size boxes, everything's presented super beautifully. And it does look awesome. So you mentioned that you guys are self-funded. Um, that means no investor money at all. Um, how much did it take to get this started? How did you get this going? Um, we took like, I want to say five to 10 K of personal money in the beginning to get it going. And I mean, that covered our initial box purchase of our actual box boxes, um, which we only did one color and one size in the beginning and um, inventory. And then we kind of went from there and obviously we did not pay ourselves for like the first two and a half years, probably um, we didn't have an outside employee for a year and a half. Um, I mean, we really, I don't honestly genuinely know if I would have the physical energy to do what we did in the first couple of years again. <laughs> um, but what a time in your early twenties, who cares, you know, just yeah. hit pavement. But, um, yeah, I mean, we were really slow and we grew organically this whole time, which has been really nice because our attention's really high and the return customers are really high because, we've been kind of supporting them in their life moments for a while now. And, you know, we've, we, we don't try to kind of live above our means, I guess. I don't know how to, how, how better to say it, but um, for a company that does hold inventory, we have to be really thoughtful about where we're spending our money and, and how we're kind of sustaining and regenerating that. Five to $10,000 literally sounds like nothing. I'm like, how do you even, what do you do with that? Oh, like the website, the design, the branding, like, I don't know, like what are the talents on your co-founding team? You must've gotten like so much done for free because that's a very small amount of money. We did, we did all the design ourselves and we stored everything in apartments and garages and a couple storage units. Um, we stayed in our first apartment for about a year or no, like six months. And then Jenny and I were like, okay, we need to find a three bedroom for the price of a two bedroom and get going on this. And then we found our place that we ended up living in for five years together. As roommates, like all three of you were living together. Sabina never lived with us. Sabina always got to go away at night, but um, Jenny and I lived together, you know, since sophomore year of college. And we found this amazing cheap two bedroom apart or three bedroom apartment, two car garage place in El Segundo. God love it. And we made the master bedroom and the garage basically box box for about a year. Um, and I mean, I'm never need to work from home ever again, which is the funny thing about this last year is everyone's really excited to work from home for all intents and purposes, because the world is crumbling. But um, I'm like, I never, ever, ever need to work from home again. An inventory intensive warehouse adjacent business in your apartment is not the funnest, um, <laughs> but we made it work. And then we got a small, small warehouse in El Segundo, um, for a couple months. Then we were able to negotiate ourselves into a two-year lease in El Segundo at this great place. Um, and then now we're in Hawthorne for the last two years. Amazing. So you're doing all of the still internally in-house, you're doing all the logistics and, and warehouse. And yeah. So we, we own our own fulfillment. Uh, we're super proud of that. Obviously we've leveraged three PLs for like huge projects and you know, that's just the smart thing to do, but we, um, for, we have, you know, a, we call it our B2B and our B2C because we, we have a pretty large scale corporate gifting business called box Ox concierge as well. Um, so we've got B2B production in-house and then B2C fulfillment as well. So how big is your team now? We, with everybody, are at 41, um, which 
feels like a lot yeah at the same time because no one's here and everyone's at home um for the last not everyone i mean our warehouse has been here the whole time um i'm in a conference room which is why i don't have a mask on but we have been psychos about covid since the beginning and so we test weekly we mask and shield we quarantine when we need to like we are the most accommodating above bar people ever because i just as business owner was hearing about so many people who are just doing the bare minimum or not even Mm -hmm. and we have been really proud that everybody who does work here has their job and has a place where they don't have to think about covid for eight hours a day minus the fact that they can't eat together anymore and they have to wear shields. But other than that, it's pretty normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And then sales and finance and marketing has been home since last year. So how did um, COVID affect the gifting business? I would say it had a positive effect on the gifting business. Um, We, like every company in the world last March, were like, what is going to happen? What's going on? Is it in the air? Is it on the surfaces? So we had about a couple of weeks of like, what's going to happen? Is business just going to stop? And then we like Mm -hmm. paused for a second and realized, oh my gosh, actually sales are really, really, really high. Um, And we had a phenomenal year in that sense because, you know, we part of our ethos is being there when you can't physically be there. We've been saying that for six years and it just became super true last year. And for people to maintain both their personal and professional relationships, um, we just became a huge resource bigger than we were before for people. And so that was really positive. The cons of that were um, everybody's supply chain was an absolute nightmare last year. I mean, not only not even just the baseline, oh, my UPS or USPS package is shipping slowly. It's like, okay, all of our inventory is slow. All of our suppliers are slow. Our shipments from overseas are slow. Like we ran out of boxes. We ran out of big boxes in December during Christmas. Like that was a bummer. And any other year I would have been so upset about that failure on our part to project. But really it was like, we just were selling so much that we just didn't have the projections. And then by the time we realized that it was too late and there's no way we were going to get those boxes from overseas for December. And I think a lot of brands were going through that. I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this as just a consumer. Yeah, I did with you. (laughs) (laughs) Bucks on my two boxes for my friends were late. (laughs) And and it sucks. And it's totally... The worst was I understood. It was all good. And they actually ended up traveling and it was totally fine, which they shouldn't have been traveling probably, but they came back and it was there. So it worked out. And I mean, I will say it caused a lot of, um, we had a lot of like intimate conversations with our, on our customer service team with our customers where we were just being as transparent and real and apologetic as possible. And everybody was just having a really human interaction about it because I mean like even when I'm shopping for clothes or getting groceries like there's certain things I haven't been able to get in like six months because they just can't keep stock Mm -hmm. um so I'd say that was like the hardest part of last year is just like you had to be so adaptable Mm -hmm. and flexible um for that and then obviously I mean in full transparency people get COVID we got you know a couple people get COVID after Thanksgiving we on the airing on the side of caution sent seven people home for 10 days because we didn't know. And yeah. that was so hard on our team. And mm-hmm. a lot of my friends in e-com and retail and warehouses were dealing with similar constant situations last year. Yeah. Oh boy. So, well, that sounds like a challenge, but um, outside of the COVID kind of era, um, tell us about one of your most challenging moments in building your business and how you overcame it. Um, I would say, I mean, that's definitely like as a standout far and away, the biggest challenges we've ever had to deal with. But outside of that, I mean, just like stepping onto new levels when you are self-funded and you don't have a board of experienced people guiding you, um, to where they've been before, you know, everything that, that was new was always scary. So like the first hire that I didn't know personally from my network was so intimidating, you know, and like negotiating their contracts and things like that. That was so scary. I mean, getting our first huge five-year corporate real estate 
lease here at this big warehouse was really intimidating. Um, and trying to navigate that alone, you know, just with our co-founders who we don't have experience doing that. Um, just all that stuff, setting up people's insurance and making sure you're doing it correctly and making sure it's doing right by everybody, setting up, you know, the 401k plan, like all those huge steps to just like kind of be stepping into the darkness a little bit were always really scary and intimidating um, to us. I think it's so funny because I think from the outside as a, you know, someone who maybe hasn't started a business before can easily kind of look at your company and be like, what a fun, cute company to start. That's like these amazing, beautiful boxes you get to make every day and curate cool brands and look at all these cool products. You know, I'm sure there's lots of perks, but at the, uh, on the other end, it's like the stuff that you're dealing with, there are things people don't think about that come into the business world, like these, you know, healthcare plans for your employees and 401 K plans and the real estate leases and all these like very heavy kind of business needing lawyers to review things over and over. It's like the not so glamorous side of entrepreneurship that I think is highly overlooked. And the management, the management of people is really hard. I'm sure anyone who's managed anyone, even one person will know like being responsible for other people's lives is something that me and my co-founders take so seriously. And you know, their happiness and their success and their career paths, that, that stuff that weighs on us in, in a good way, like we care about it, but it, it is a lot of work too. Yeah. I mean, so how do you stay positive? Is there a routine or activity or thought process that helps you stay on track and motivated every day? Yeah. I mean, it's funny, like working for ourselves, I don't have Sunday scaries anymore. I'm excited to get out of bed in the morning. I'm excited to like tackle these Sunday chats. scares. Is that what you just said? The Sunday scaries. Haven't you ever heard what of are the Sunday scaries? No, I don't, I don't know what this is. Oh my gosh. The Sunday scaries are like when on Sunday, when panic starts to set in because you have to go to work the next day. Like I, never <laughs> I thought that was just like morning, Monday morning. Like I thought there was another word for that, but it had to do with Mondays. Oh, I don't know. I, this is just what I've been repeating for years. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to get out of bed in the morning. I'm excited to learn. I'm ex like this, this whole thing is like a challenge and a puzzle and it's fun to like go at it every single day. I think, you know, as I've gotten a little bit older, I definitely try to eat better and work out. And that honestly keeps me centered. Um, we're now at a place where we can actually, I mean, not this last year, but take vacations and take breaks. And we run a pretty well-balanced ship here. I mean, we, nobody's working and burning the midnight oil. Like, I mean, maybe the three co-founders are during COVID when it's like panic season, but not our employees. We want to make sure everybody just doesn't feel bombarded by us when it's nighttime and family time. And honestly, putting my phone down when I get home, if I'm done for the day, I'm done for the day. And that, that alone will set me up for success the next day, you know, because I just feel refreshed and better. Yes. Unplugging is definitely um, important um, and probably helps with those Sunday scaries to um, get some perspective and take a breather. Totally. What's something you wish you would have known before you started your business? Um, I, it's a great question. I feel like we've learned so much. Um, I would say like, I, I don't, I didn't do anything about this, but I'm, I'm glad that we didn't get dazzled by things we shouldn't have gotten dazzled by. Like we weren't, it wasn't so like concrete in, in my conviction as I am now looking back, but like we weren't taking on partnerships we should have just for like the name or the glitz or like, you know, pursuing, spending money, pursuing VC money, just so that we can have the one article written about us and, and all of that. I'm glad that we didn't get distracted by stuff and we were able to kind of focus, um, on one thing, which was creating, you know, a high touch point service and, and store for people to gift. Well, um, I wish, I mean, the management was hard. I wish that I knew earlier to start like becoming a student of that and like pursuing books and talking to people. Um, and I kind of wish that I cared a little bit more about networking in college 
Um, I think networking and doing it correctly is so important. And the times that I have invested in relationships outside of BoxFox have really paid off. And same for my co-founders and those people have really supported us and gone to bat for us and, and us for them. And I wish that I had spent a little bit more time genuinely caring about that in school because I didn't because mm-hmm. it makes networking, you know, makes me uncomfortable. Um, and so I would say like, for anyone, I mean, that's going to benefit anybody in any industry. Like, I really wish that I was like genuinely invested in that earlier on. Interesting. And management, I mean, managing people is definitely pretty tough, especially if you've never done it before. So how, what have you learned about managing a team? Um, it's definitely tough. I think what people don't realize is that it it really is going to be 20% of your job. Like, Right. It's not like you're going to get over it or get through it, or you're going to deal with it on a Monday and it's gone by Wednesday. Like being a manager means you're responsible for guiding and shepherding and advocating for, you know, the people that work for you. Um, I've definitely learned, you know, to make sure we love radical candor by, um, I think her name is Kim Scott who wrote that being super open and honest with people, being super kind um, to one another and also just like empathetic. I mean, like uh, when I worked at past jobs, there was a there was a little bit of a lacking of humanity kind of, um, and we're really pro humanity here. So um, I think those are the, those are kind of the main things that we focus on and um, yeah. Answer your question. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and you've you've got a forty plus team now. Um, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in hiring your team? What do you look for most? Like when you're interviewing someone or whatnot? Like, what are some of the red flags or you know green lights that you've seen? Um, we look for self starters. We look for people who aren't precious, and we look for people who want to work. I mean, people that aren't precious. That's funny. <laughs> but you know there's and you know it's the way you interact with people when you're interviewing and stuff and this becomes very apparent you know even before you speak to references but there is a type of people who are super excited to roll up their sleeves for something um in a well-balanced and healthy way um and be self-starters and you know we work in a hybrid warehouse office and you know we are self-funded it's we don't have a lot of you know, fancy things or resources like that. A lot of it's, you know, people building their departments from the ground up still in the last two years and, and wanting to do that kind of stuff is really what we look for. One of our five values is resourceful and like, we love resourceful people. And self-starter, how do you identify a self-starter? What does that mean? Do they, do they have a history of starting things on their own? And like, are they on do kind of like look to hire entrepreneurial people? How do you find that on a resume? That's a really great question. It's more of a feeling and it's more from talking to people, but it's really about, are you somebody who um, doesn't need a syllabus from your boss to guide what to figure out and find that motivation to achieve the goals that are set forth for you or that you might need to set yourself. I mean, we have a pretty nice and goal setting structure now that we're, you know, in almost year seven, but like being able to motivate yourself and figure out how to get there without somebody micromanaging you all the time is really kind of how we define that. Um, and like in a tangible way, someone like, you know, I've had to move the pallet jack. I'm not going to like not move mm-hmm. the pallet jack if somebody needs my help doing something like that. So people that aren't kind of afraid of the fact that there isn't like a boundary between us and our fulfillment, like I'm not, no one's fulfilling anymore if they work in the main office, but you know, we, we're all kind of one here and we're all here to support each other. And so people who exhibit like a, a desire for that kind of a culture and, and work life, but really it's the it's the not needing a roadmap to, to get done what you can get done. And how do you hire for that? Do you just ask them, Hey, do you need a roadmap or, you know, like, how do you really identify that in someone? It's like in the questions, I I talk to people about their past experiences and their past projects and the, the past successes that they've had and, 
and the things they're most proud of that they've worked on. I mean, when people talk about those things, those qualities shine through in the, that storytelling and those answers. And that's how you really mine for it. And then obviously when you speak to their references, you really mine for it. Awesome. So, you know, we all make mistakes. It's part of being human. What's the biggest mistake you've ever made or when did you feel the most defeated? Hmm. Did you send like an email to somebody and you're like, damn it, I wish I didn't send that. How do I unsend? Or, you know, anything crazy kind of happened where you're like, whoops. I feel like, I mean, we've all made like stupid mistakes where I've like wired money. I shouldn't have wired five years ago, but we to get the it. wrong person or <laughs> no, I overwired money to like a tax agency. We got it back, but it was, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're all human in that regard. I think, yeah. Um, what is the biggest mistake we've ever made? Mm. I mean, probably in hiring, hiring, whether, you know, we've hired, um, like, like vendors, like, you know, outside vendors and agencies that just didn't work out. Um, which has been a bummer, you know, things like that, where you're wasting time and money on something that just, you shouldn't have wasted time and money on that wasn't really fruitful for either of you. And that kind of stuff is so frustrating because you're just like, damn, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and we've done that a couple of times because especially when your bandwidth is small and you only have a small team, there's only so much dedicated fervent attention you can give on different people doing projects for you. So that's probably my, my biggest regret in the past is just, you know, having too many plates up in the air that I, you know, and I should have just waited and kind of done things more progressively. Um, cause it just didn't turn out the, the way you wanted, you know? Yeah. So you guys have done some really cool partnerships with Nordstrom, anthropology, bachelorette. Can you kind of talk about these partnerships, how they worked, how they happened? Yeah. Um, we were super excited. Anthropology reached out to us. So we're on anthropology.com. Um, and you know, just we're, we're, uh, we sell to them and they retail to their people. And, and we were super excited to be a part of their community, um, and reach some of their audiences. And so they have a select curation on their website of our stuff. Nordstrom, we were in store and online um, before the pandemic hit. And that was like the most magical thing ever to walk into your childhood Nordstrom and see a picture of your face. And <laughs> so, so that cool. Very, that was very exciting. Um, Bachelorette, we've, we've dabbled in small partnerships with Bachelorette before, you know, like gift boxes for Jade's wedding um, a couple of years ago and things like that. Um, but we did a partnership to help launch Tasha's arrival on Claire's season and kind of had a, a retail aspect to their marketing efforts, which was really fun. And the whole, the whole message behind it was you can't have your bachelorette viewing parties this year. And so send that viewing party to the people in kind of your network that you normally enjoy it with. Um, and we were super proud of that as well. Is there any type of partnership or, you know, influencer partnership or anything that really just like moved the needle that pushed you guys into a whole other level realm where you guys were like, whoa, this, this, this means now we're, we're going big time now. You know, it's funny. Those are the types of things like we've dabbled in some sort of it, like tons of little and micro influencer type partnerships or email giveaways in the beginning. I remember the ones that mattered the most because it was us being introduced to a, a properly aligned audience where you really did see a significant amount of people take to your stuff, to us, to BoxBox. When, like, I want to say three or four years ago, we did a big email giveaway with Girlboss. Um, cool. And that really moved the needle for us, um, which we were super excited by. Um when we did the bridesmaid boxes for Jade's wedding back in 2016, Jade um, Tolbert, I think is her name. Mm -hmm. That really moved the needle for us. Um, bachelor stuff performed really well back then. Um, and now we do like small things here and there that we definitely see pick up, pick up from. Um, I would say the first time we were in TechCrunch really moved the needle. It was like back in 20, I have it like, literally right here, this picture of it. Um, 2015, 
someone wrote a really lovely article about us and on my LinkedIn and in my email, I was getting all these notes from men in my life who finally were like, oh, it's not like a cute gifting thing. It's like a serious thing. <laughs> You're in TechCrunch. Now you must be legit. Apparently, but <laughs> me and my two co-founders received a lot of that same feedback during that time. And it um, was really nice and impactful for us. But yeah, I mean, there's those are the ones that definitely like stand out as I remember they they were definitely like a big moment. Um, but there's been like smaller press hits and smaller influencer partnerships. They all move the needle and they all are impactful. Mm -hmm. uh, but those were definitely the biggest ones. So how did the TechCrunch um, article come about? Did, you know, did you have a connection there or how did things like that happen? That one was just someone reached out, which was really exciting. Um, Girlboss, a friend of a friend of a friend, I think worked there um, on their growth team and, and we reached out that way. Um, the Bachelorette one, someone we know who's someone we know, someone we know connected us with their, their talent person, mm -hmm. um, which has been really, was really cool. That's awesome. So in terms of leadership, you know, starting and growing a business involves a lot of professional and personal growth. How do you think you've grown personally as a leader? That's a great question. Um, I definitely think that, um, you know, in the beginning, it was a lot more chaotic um, than it is now. Um, and I feel like I'm just a lot more measured um, and on the offense than in the past. I think, you know, reactive, defensive um, was kind of how I behaved. I mean, I was like 22 years old when we started this. Um, mm -hmm. And I think I'm just a lot calmer. Um, but I, we all three, myself included of us founders really stress being approachable to our team. Um, and so we've been, I mean, we're like, we're here, you know, we're in, we are very involved people. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think just like over time, I just more measured, more thoughtful, um, more prepared. Um, and all of that contributes to just being a better leader for our people. Um, and how did that happen? Did you, is this just from kind of experience or did you guys get any kind of executive coaching or what kind of helped you transition from being, you know, reactive or a little defensive to more measured and more, more on the offense and more approachable and thoughtful and things like that? I think honestly, as we, well, there's two parts to this. As we grew and we were able to hire people to do things that we weren't great at, that freed up a lot of our time and we are able to kind of focus on our strengths mm -hmm. um, more so now. And, and that's, that was really amazing. Um, I think the three of us are so committed to our relationship to each other. And we, you know, have multi times a week touch bases where we are just like, we believe in over communication with the three of us. And that's just paid dividends to, to us as people and how we manage and lead and all of that and empowers the, the, the others. Um, we did actually have executive coaching gifted to us. We had one session of that, like two and a half years ago, which I don't know if it was like, it just pointed things out. And I, that was at the point though, where I was like, I think we can get over a lot of stuff with over communication. And really that's what it is. It's just making sure that the three of us feel supported and are supported um, and know about what's going on with each other, getting involved when we need to, stepping back when we need to. But really it's like setting up the three of us to be able to kind of, I don't yeah. know, just be supported, be more balanced, have more time to be better, you know? Yeah. Over communication is like a kind of a term I've heard. And at first you're like, what does that even mean? Like, what are you saying that you just repeat yourself a gazillion times and annoy people, you know? But I think that at the bottom of it, and I'd love to hear your thoughts that over communicating is really about just not making any assumptions that someone knows what you're talking about. It's not, it's about not making assumptions. And it's about, I mean, for us, we are like, personal friends as well. And so it might be a little bit easier for us than it would be for someone who kind of came to the table together professionally first. But I mean, we're just like very, 
it's definitely not the assumption. It's definitely the assumption thing. That's, that's huge, but it's really like express like multiple times a year, checking in that we're on the same page on big things, setting the goals company-wide and department-wide. Um, we have a management check-ins where we, you know, check in on our teams and how they're doing. We have founder check-in where we're talking about large initiatives. And then we've come to the point where I know what I can make a decision on without them being involved that they're not going to be offended by. And I know what I need to bring to the table for the three of us to be involved in. And so that is a huge part of it. And that just came from over communicating. We set time to go on retreats, just the three of us, you know, a few times a year, our relationship is, you know, takes management just like a, a romantic relationship or a friendship. I mean, and that's really where it comes from and, and what we boil it down to. And what's something you think most people don't know about building a business? God, it's really hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody I, says that, but I don't think, you know, the communication about what that actually means has resonates for a lot of people. Like everybody I, says it's hard, but what does that mean? I think it's, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because we are hiring a lot right now. And I think that um, it's a trade-off. Are you somebody who thrives being kind of, in a bigger pool of resources and support that you don't have to build. So the, the trade-off is maybe you don't have as much power or maybe you don't have as much freedom, but you have support and stability and resources, or do you want to have the creative freedom and do you want to have the power, but do you want to deal with the stress a little bit of not having as many resources and needing to build your systems from scratch? Like that's the most black and white way that I can say. And obviously so many bi different businesses are different where people work or where people don't, but like it's a, I think what people don't realize is it's so much more responsibility, so much unsexy responsibility that, you know, you're responsible for yourself. You're responsible for your supplies. You're responsible for all the legal and the liability. And then eventually when you bring people on, you're responsible for these people's lives and, you know, they have families and they buy houses and, that ultimately comes down to you. Um, and that's kind of what I think people don't know. But but if you're someone like me, you like thrive on it and you love it. And that's the choice and the path that you decide. Right, it's like the only way you would want it to be. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't like, I want to be in charge at mm -hmm. whatever cost that is. I, I um, like to call that unemployable, by the way. <laughs> unemployable, uh, maybe, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, some people thrive, you know, contributing to, this is going to sound so negative. I'm not trying to sound negative. Some people will do anything and sacrifice anything for it to be their vision and have the control. And some people don't need that. And yeah. so, you know, that's, right. that's kind of the, 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 the way you slice it, I guess. <laughs> So before we wrap up here, what advice do you have? You know, you've already um, shared some awesome insights, but do you have any final advice you'd like to share for aspiring entrepreneurs thinking about starting a business or even just, you know, anybody who's tuning in? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you're going to have to work hard. And if you're cool with that, then go for it. I mean, it's, it's a lot of responsibility, but um don't feel like you need to do everything at once. Nobody's an overnight success at all. I mean, there's so many things you need to get, in, you know, get your ducks into a row when it comes to supply chain operations, marketing, and it's okay if it takes a little bit of time. It's really hard if you're not a patient person like myself. It's, um, I would say that's like the biggest thing too, is it takes a lot of patience because you yeah. want everything to happen overnight. If you're that, if you're like an entrepreneur, you want it to happen tomorrow or yesterday. Um, and I think that's probably one of the hardest things is that when you're getting something off the ground that it takes a lot more time than you think. And it's like, reach out to people in your network. I actually was just talking to someone I, I'm good friends with who's starting something this past weekend. And as I'm talking to her, I was just like thinking of all of these things that like, I'm like, Oh, get your stickers from here. Get these kind of thermal labels. I was like going deep into all of these things that you just, you learn by doing. And like, obviously reach out to people who have been there first, cause it'll save you on, 
you know, find a good lawyer without having to like hunt around and, and that, that sort of thing. Cause that does take time too, is finding people you trust that you're mm-hmm. going to need. Um, yeah. But yeah, it does just take some time. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for reaching out. I'm so flattered. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.